0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Spring Washam. Spring is a well-known meditation and dharma teacher based in Oakland, California. She has studied numerous meditation practices and Buddhist philosophy since 1997. She is a founding member and core teacher at the East Bay Meditation Center located in downtown Oakland. She has practiced and studied under some of the most preeminent meditation masters in both the Theravada and Tibetan schools of Buddhism. She has completed a six-year teacher training program under the guidance of Jack Kornfield and is now on the Teachers' Council at Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Woodacre, California. Spring is considered a pioneer in bringing mindfulness-based healing practices to diverse communities and is committed to creating opportunities for disenfranchised people everywhere. She also is the founder of Lotus Vine Retreats. Which offers re- Lotus Fine Journeys, excuse me, which offers retreats in ancient medicine and Buddhist wisdom. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So, hello, Spring. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yes. Hello, Jacob. I'm so happy today to to chat with you.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be a really interesting and maybe a little bit controversial topic that I think will get people really interested (laughs) and maybe we can spur a conversation around this. So um, to start, as I often do with these podcasts, I would love to just hear a little bit about your story. And let's start with the story specifically around your Buddhist Uh, practice and your experience in that tradition?
1: Well, I started to come into Buddhist practice almost 20 years ago. It was in my early twenties and I was meditating in the Hindu tradition, Mm -hmm. uh, the self-realization fellowship. And I was having difficulties because I had no instruction, no Mm. instructor. You know, and so my meditations were not going very well. And so the thought came to me, I need a teacher. Yeah. And just happened uh, upon a retreat that was happening in Yucca Valley, California, out in the desert. And it was a 10-day retreat. And my life had was falling apart right before then I got fired from this job. And my boyfriend and I broke up. And I drove to this retreat. And I didn't know who led it. I knew nothing about it, they said it's 10 days of silence. We give you instruction. There's vegetarian food. So I was like, great, you know, and I just showed up completely open. And, um, that retreat was really life-changing for me.
0: Wow. And then, and then where did it go from there? When did you start teaching and, and, and moving it towards this sort of path of becoming a, a member of the meditation center or the teacher at the meditation center?
1: Well, you know, I started practicing for a lot of years. I started going on very long retreats, three-month retreats, five-month retreats. I just, after that first 10 days, I realized this is my path. I fell in love with the Dharma. I mean, I already had a spiritual slant and had studied psychology. And I just got so interested in it that a lot of teachers, some very well-known teachers, began mentoring me. One in particular is Jack Cornfield, who I ended up meeting on that first retreat. And we became, I don't know, I guess you could say it was sort of a karmic connection we had. We just really clicked. And um, I started going to different trainings that Spirit Rock was offering. I did a community Dharma training for two years And it was during that process when I was living in downtown Oakland that I had a very clear vision of creating a community in Oakland for urban people that was completely accessible, diverse, um, and that started to happen. We started to, you know, sort of put that in motion. And at the same time, I started just getting invited to teach. I had no aspirations of teaching at all. Um, But the invitations just started coming. People said, why don't you come on my retreat? I'd love to have you. Why don't you give a talk? And it was really slowly like that. It just started, it just happened, you know, over time. And then after I completed a six-year training, teacher training program, I was asked to be on the teacher's council at Spirit Rock, which is just, um, you know, a higher level of commitment to teaching. And it's kind of like a faculty to an institution, you know, you become sort of a rotating teacher. Wow. So yeah, it just happened, you know, it was just like moment by moment. Um, it just all started unfolding, but it came out of years of practice first. Right. I was always so committed to that. That
0: was my, how many you know, years have you been practicing before you act- before you did this six year teacher training?
1: Well, I had already been practicing for about 10 years, I would say pretty intensively. Yeah, I was I, I had a lot of trauma in my background and it it really for me, it was not a glorious light filled path. It was kind of the, you know, I always laugh about meditation that mine was, you know, oceans of tears and <laughs> suffering. And like it wasn't like it didn't look like a magazine cover model. No, no, wasn't. I wasn't. You know, I it was like the struggle, you know, and uh, being in the present moment was brutal, you know. Yeah. But there's something about it that I just, I just fell in love with the teachings, and I, you know, was so interested in my mind and suffering and freedom. So everything for me really resonated. It was, it was just a deep remembering. I've done this before, I'm wow. sure.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I sort of, I love the the six year. Teacher training. I just uh, this is sort of just a passing comment, but you know, as a yoga teacher, it, it, there's something problematic. I mean, we a lot of us discuss this about the fact that you know somebody can theoretically be practicing yoga asana for less than a year, sign up for a teacher training, and then go out and you know and be certified to teach. And you know, it seems like the Buddhists got it right in knowing that this is not something that you can just you know, spend 200 hours doing over the course of a month in, in Bali and then go out and teach it. You have to immerse yourself. And, and so I really respect their, um, the way that they've, you know, institutionalized the process of education. I think it's something that we as uh, in the yoga community could really aspire to.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. There is a, that is, and also there's a lot of mindfulness where people are just taking a, a weekend class, and then you know they're going out and they're um, teaching. So I, it's happening. Sad yeah. but true. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of. Uh, yeah.
0: It's something that happens everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I want to ask a little bit about. So you you were in the the um, the Self Realization Fellowship, which is the um, Yoga Nanda School, correct? Yes. 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 Um, it and you're mentioning how you didn't have a teacher. I'm curious about. Was it just the the lack of a teacher that that called you to kind of move on? Or did you find, you know, when you discovered and started to learning more about the Buddhist teachings, I'm interested to know if there was any sort of um, the difference in worldviews or difference in philosophical position that really spoke to you, if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Sure. I mean, when I first started going to Self-Realization Fellowship, I had read Yogananda's books. I would say that that was really an awakening moment, reading um, man's eternal quest and not a biography of a yogi. I thought this is it. I, you know, it inspired me to want to live a holy life, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. And, but however, what I found that was when I started going to the community that, you know, they, I would remember going to three hour meditations. Okay. And they would say, just focus on God. And I would sit there going crazy, you know, thinking for two and a half hours. And then the last half an hour would be amazing, you know, but I kept thinking, I don't, am I really meditating? Is this it? You know, and nope. Everyone would just say, love God and I was like I don't know this is I don't I, something's not complete here yeah, yeah. I I'm suffering my people are suffering I don't know this is hard so I started to recognize that there was a philosophy I couldn't feel like the philosophy was a full enough path for me I needed to understand psychologically and the Buddhist map, you know, as, and I love many different spiritual maps, but it for my mind, it kind of appealed to me because there was step by step, you know, everything was listed out. You do the five, this, you get the four of these, you do that, you know, and it was like, yes. Okay. Mm. So in the beginning, I really needed that, uh, frame in, in order to, um, have faith and continue, um, my practices, which were really challenging, you know, to meet myself.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you you mentioned in passing, you know, your people are suffering. And so I'm, I'm actually curious, uh, as a woman of color, what you've, you know, in this environment where we're really starting to talk about privilege, and we have a movement like Black Lives Matter, and and all of these things are really coming into um, intensity in our sort of wider cultural conversation. So I'm, I'm wondering if you have any reflections on the intersection of that with kind of the spiritual communities that you've been a part of. Have you noticed, like, what has your reflection been on I mean there's a lot of white privilege and we might say that it, that happens in certain spiritual communities a lot of not some in some communities not a lot of diversity there so so do you have any thoughts on that
1: Well, that's, you know, a really big topic. And um, when I was just talking just now and I said, my people are suffering, I kind of meant all my people, Okay, you know, like the people are suffering, you (laughs) know, and yeah, the people. And because, you know, at that time I was living in Oakland in a kind of rough neighborhood and I I wanted something that would address the causes and conditions of that. Yeah, Why are things the way they are? And it just, it was a helpful frame, but- I could definitely say a lot more on diversity. You know, I work, I, I walk into very different worlds. You know, I founded this, uh, or co-founded with a group of other amazing people, a center in downtown Oakland, which is very urban, uh, very diverse. And then I also work in West Marin, (laughs) you know, which is all white, you know? So I've always had these weird kind of (laughs) like, Oh, here I am here. And then I go here and there I am there. And, and I could see um, a lot in those last years around around diversity and spiritual communities and unconsciousness and fear and all of that. So, yeah, there's a lot to say. I think I would, that would be a whole conversation in and of itself.
0: Okay. Do you think yeah. that in general we're moving in a in a in a better direction on that front? <sighs>
1: Yeah, I do. I do. The The fact that people are thinking about it and they're talking about it and they are considering it and they're, looking around their communities and saying, wow, this doesn't really look like the world here, you know, or they're just, they're, it's like, I feel like it's at the beginning of a waking up around it for sure. And it might be part of the political crisis that, you know, often evokes a spiritual investigation. Yeah. You know, as things happen on the outer level, we look at how am I participating in this in some subtle or maybe more overt way or out of fear or a bias or You know, a lot of it's deeply unconscious, you know, these things are coming to the surface. And I, I appreciate the dialogues that are happening in a real way. It feels like we're on to something new and, and, and real.
0: All right, uh, excellent. Well, we'll save the rest of that uh, for another yeah. conversation. <laughs> sure. So, um, so now I want to move a little bit into so the other kind of stream that is um, important to your work right now is the one around ancient medicine, um, particularly ayahuasca. So, I would love for you to talk a little bit now about the story about of with ayahuasca and 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 sort of how that maybe starts to. To inform or to complement your um, your contemplative practice.
1: Yeah, and um, you know what I can share about a little bit about the beginning. Like, why would a Buddhist teacher, you know, even go in that direction? And it it happened. I started working with ayahuasca about eight years ago. And I went on a three-month meditation retreat and was doing very intense concentration practice. And basically, I hit a huge wall of unresolved trauma. And it was so destabilizing for me. And I was so overwhelmed. Um, I returned home at the end of that retreat. And I... I had encountered something for the first time that I genuinely could not be present with. Mm. And I realized that the practices that I were doing, which were, you know, you're sitting on your cushion, you're, uh, in silence, the te- you know, you're only seeing a teacher every, maybe twice a week, sometimes three times a week for 15 minutes, and all of this trauma was arising in me. And there was no, you know, as all things, they're evolving. The skill set of the institution, the place, who I am, I, I couldn't really address it there. And I realized at that time that there was a real limitation in that particular form of practice, that it That I I I didn't know how to heal it. So when I came back to California, I had a friend who's a psychologist, and she said, you know, spring I just started doing these ayahuasca ceremonies with a small private group up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and she was telling me how much her childhood trauma she was healing it. And this was somebody I respected. She was a you know had her own office, was seeing patients, and I thought, okay, this. I really trusted her. So I went to the ceremony, completely open-minded, but desperate, because I knew something was wrong. Mm. You know, I just, I I was like, God, this is, something is broken. And I don't know, I can't even begin to get a handle on it. It it really felt that massive. I was, you know, shaky. I had vertigo. I was over, you know, my emotions were completely erratic. I, you know, and I, I was compassionate but I felt that there was something on a very very deep level that I needed to heal so when I did that ceremony it was for me a very life-changing moment I felt like in that one night I had learned more about myself than I had on that three-month retreat I was able to um work with myself, understand myself. It was just so powerful. Mm. So what happened out of that was that I immediately knew I would go to Peru because I thought, you know, that's how I am. When something resonates, I think I want to go right to the source of it. And so, um, even though I appreciated that kind of group, I knew I wanted to follow it in a traditional way. So I, that began, uh, my trips to Peru to the jungle and studying with the Shipibo um, uh, indigenous tribe. They live around the Yookalale River area. They're known for being sort of the pharmacist of the jungle. And they work with ayahuasca and many other plants. They're sort of the the doctors. And you see Shipibo art everywhere now. It's very trendy, you know, and all these things. But um, so that, that, that sort of was the beginning of my process. It was to deal with my own trauma That I could not deal with sitting silently in retreat. It just, I couldn't get, I couldn't be with it. I couldn't heal it in that form. Although I appreciate greatly the form. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, um, it, the, the, the area that you go, I've, I've been to Peru. I went a couple years ago, but I didn't, I didn't do ayahuasca while I was there. Um, ironically, the only time I've done ayahuasca was in upstate New York, <laughs> but, um, where, <laughs> sure. um, where in, uh, where is this in the, in the Eastern part of the country? What near the jungle?
1: Yeah. So the first few times that I started going, it was, um, I flew into Iquitos mm-hmm. and I would travel around and there's all kinds of centers. You, Iquitos is kind of a city. Uh, it's in the upper Amazon area. Um, one could say Eastern Peru, I suppose. And you, um, it's sort of the opening to the Amazon basin. So a lot of groups, a lot of tours, a lot of nonprofits. We all sort of launch out from there. Um, and that's you know, where your retreats are held, right? No, my retreats are held in a similar place, but they're in a city called Terrapoto. So we're sort of more my retreats, you know the my retreats are more a little bit more upscale. So I spent years, including one year. I lived in Peru from uh, 2014 to 2015, basically apprenticing. So I stayed in the jungle for a whole year, really going deeper. Because, again, that's kind of my nature when I want to study something because I was so intrigued that I decided to dedicate a year to learning about plant wisdom, healing, healing basically with Gaian knowledge, you know, and and working with people from around the world who were coming for treatment of everything, depression, illnesses, autoimmune disorders, uh, anxiety attacks, um, loss of... um, you know, loss of loved ones, all kinds of reasons why people seek out, uh, working with a plant like ayahuasca yeah. and, you know, so diverse people's, you know, motivations and intentions.
0: Wow. So, uh, now I want to, um, because for those that are, um, I mean, ayahuasca is sort of in our, you know, more, open-minded maybe urban communities it's becoming more you know it's it's more accepted and it's understood to be this healing modality but i want to sort of talk maybe for those out there who are resistant towards it and maybe who are operating you know on the assumption that this is a drug like any other drug and as with other drugs it's kind of a means of escape in some way hmm. could you address that that um, that thought process around ayahuasca and how maybe it's not appropriate for this particular um, experience.
1: Yeah, you know, there's you're right. Ayahuasca has become very mainstream. Even people making fun of it, and you know, all kinds of things. However, what I discovered and why I wanted to go to the jungle and spend time with the Shipibo people and the indigenous people and understand ayahuasca from the source is that it's very misunderstood. And people go to everything, um, maybe with one idea about what it is. And I always, when people ask me, what is ayahuasca? I just say, you know, it's a very powerful spirit doctor. Yeah. That's what you're encountering. It's not a drug. If you, I don't know anybody who would ever consider taking ayahuasca as a drug. Yeah. Um. It, you you probably would get pretty beat up doing that, or yeah. there'd be no effect at all. You know. The, and when you say that
0: you're meaning the kind <laughs> the you you're when you say that you're meaning kind of the way that someone would take like you know go out and and do cocaine or something or or Molly. Mm-hmm. You're talking that, that sort of like where the context is sort of not as organized, not as ritualized. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the word, I mean, uh, people have sometimes, when they speak to me, use the word drug and it always stands out like, no, no, this is a medicine. No, no, this drugs are very different than what we're talking about with ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, not everybody knows that. So then also there's so much information on the internet, you know, some of it good, some of it bad, but um, a lot of it kind of, uh, confused or, you know, again, people bring their motivations and their intentions. But for me, ayahuasca was never a drug. It was a very powerful medicine. And I was able to not only open and heal my own trauma, I was actually able to go much deeper into the Buddhist wisdom. I was able to understand, not just from an intellectual point of view, the teachings of the Buddha and other great masters, but I was able to feel it in my body. It was like, I deepened my own insight. It gave me much more faith in the teachings, actually. Mm. And so I always, you know, and that was one of the reasons I started to introduce it to a lot of my Buddhist friends, community, and other teachers. You know, I don't, am not going to say their names, but there's a whole movement of spiritual teachers who are, um, Uh, going to ceremonies for their own healing privately. And we would all, you know, we started, we even nicknamed ourselves the shamanistics, Mm -hmm. you know, blending shamanism and monasticism, you know, together. But what we discovered was that it opened up a depth Mm -hmm. to our teachings that we weren't just teaching. It's very easy to, easy to become mechanical as a teacher Yep. You know, you go to sleep, right? You you know what you're going to say. I'm going to give a talk on this. You pull out your sheet, cheat sheet, and it and you can lose um, the connection to the deeper meaning, the power of it, you know? So anyway, this for me was something that has deepened my faith a lot. It's provided me with so much um, wisdom by deepening what I know. So, yeah, but that's just been my experience.
0: Yeah. So what about um, the Buddhist community? I'm interested to hear what kind of pushback you've gotten or what kind of arguments you've received from, from some who might consider this um, controversial, this kind of integration between um, Buddhist mindfulness practice and, and ayahuasca retreats.
1: Yeah, and I you know, I and there is pushback. Um, and I completely understand the confusion. Um, first of all, you know, people come into Buddhist practice, uh, many come from a twelve step background. Yeah. So already they're they're embracing this new way of being, which is beautiful. And so there's a fear around that. Are yeah. we now we're taking something in the Buddhist uh community we follow precepts and one of a, a very a very Honorable precept, an important precept is around the taking of intoxicants that cloud the mind. Right. Right. So we try to avoid that. We wanna we wanna be awake, we wanna be present. And so that precept, is this something that clouds the mind or is this something that wakes up the mind? Is what is being debated. And what are we saying when we say um, uh, this is a, a way to heal trauma? So this the 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 medicinal aspect, we're saying, what I'm depositing to the Buddhist world is this isn't something that replaces your spiritual practice. Nothing can do that. You yourself walk the path. Ayahuasca is not going to enlighten you. That's not its job. But what it can do is it can help uh, move things along quicker. We heal the blockages. We heal the trauma. We understand ourselves, and with that, we 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 move at a faster pace. It's an accelerator. Mm. That's been my discovery. Accelerates what? Our own wisdom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not. It's not really something outside. That's why. And, you know, it's a new philosophy, but I understand that there is a fear around this being something that could harm people or people being afraid. And also the Western mind, what happens is we tend to grasp things as a quick fix. Ayahuasca is powerful, but yeah. you have to work with it, Yeah. right? And, and for those who it's right for, it's really right for. And also in um, my travels around the world, you know, for most parts of the world, ayahuasca is excellent for addiction. Yeah. You know, there's several addiction treatment centers. So I often present that, you know, as a way to say, well, you know, a lot of people have gotten off their addiction, stopped alcohol. I mean, I've, I've, I've I mean, I could tell you 150 s- stories of that, you know, people I've worked with who have, their lifestyle has gotten so much healthier.
0: Well, actually spring, why don't we tell like three, because I think it would be really inspiring for people to hear some of the real life instances. If you, if you feel comfortable sharing like three powerful examples of how this has transformed lives.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. Let me think about that for a second. Well, I have a couple that I like to share where that, that have just been very powerful um, for me. One was that I worked with a woman who came on one of my retreats um, a couple years ago. And she uh, is a New Yorker, and she came in to the retreat. And she basically came because she had started mutilating herself. Mm. And this was a very powerful woman, okay? She was strong and fit and, you know, had that New Yorker edge and was beautiful. And she was about 40 And um, she had started pulling her hair out and becoming very violent and uh, was becoming concerned for herself. She saw this as, you know, this is not good. I don't want to continue this behavior. And I'm, I'm really, you know, worried about it. And also, you know, she also was having problems with intimate relationships and trusting people. And she knew that it was from when she was born. She was born in Israel, and she had 18. She was um, went into the military and spent two years in the special operations and basically uh, has a very extreme form of post-traumatic stress. But she didn't treat it. What happened was, when she got out of the military, she shut down everything, moved to New York, cut off all ties to Israel, all ties to her tradition everything and just moved on with her life. Mm-hmm. Right. So she just shut a door. She, she never wanted to have anything to do with anything around Israel, what happened. So I, you know, as I worked with her a little bit, I said, like, I think there might be a connection here, you know, and she knew that, but how does one even begin to open to that? Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God, this is so massive. But during the course of our, our retreat and, Um, And also, you know, she began to unpack that and memories and body sensation. And as we know, with ayahuasca, we purge out a lot of negative energy. So she went through a whole purging process and and tears and and to start to make peace with what happened to her. You know, that young woman who didn't know what she was getting into and forgiveness and compassion A huge part of my work is about self-compassion and forgiveness. If we don't have self-love and compassion, you know, we can't open to anything, really. So for me, that was a very important piece to help her ground, like, to see that young girl as being just that, innocent, who, you know, no one plans to be in a situation where they are harming other beings. Mm. That wasn't her motivation, you know? And so... Um, so she was become a very, very powerful, um, success story and an advocate. And she's shared her story quite openly with people. So, um, she stands out in my mind and, um, as some as a story that has touched me and I have a book coming out at the end of this year and I share her story in the book about healing trauma. Cause she, she was willing to do the work and it continued when she went back to New York, but what that two week retreat did, it was it gave her a huge jump start. Yeah you know, into it. Like, how do you face this? And she was able to really start to do that healing work in a big way.
0: That's beautiful.
1: Wow. Yeah, wow. So great. Do you, have, do
0: you have another, maybe one other story that you want to share?
1: Sure. Um, a few years back, I met another really beautiful woman. She stands out in my mind. And again, I have so many stories of men and women. This just happened to be two, you know, women, just because I, I became close to them in some way. Um, there is this other really, and this was years ago, I met this beautiful woman at a retreat. I was at a two week retreat and, um, I was, uh, there also taking the the medicine. So I was there participating in my own healing process. Right. And she was someone that I met on the retreat and we became close and her story was really powerful. She had um, come straight from the hospital in Germany. She was from Germany. And she, um, they found all these cancer cells in her cervix. And she was very young woman, early twenties and, um, and had a history of cancer in her family and, um, was really, really concerned, but she just knew that she wanted to use an alternative treatment. She didn't want chemotherapy. She didn't want them to operate on her cervix um, you know, for a woman, that's a really big thing. And she, she was just, you know, just terrified at the diagnosis and what did this mean? And, and so over the course of that two week retreat, um, she got so much clarity on everything. Mm. And she, uh, also, you know, again, went back into her family history and her ancestry and resolved all these different things and had the most powerful ceremonies and the healers worked on her. And then when she went home, um, the, the cells were gone. So, and so we, we were celebrating that together, but I saw this many times though, Jacob, during, when I was on, um, living in the jungle at a healing temple, people healed from cancers, Lyme disease, um, all kinds of asthmatic conditions. Uh, I saw, I saw this a lot, people on the brink of suicide. Um, you know, I worked with another man just really quick, a, a man from France who was suicidal for years. He went on, uh, I was at with him at a retreat, another retreat. I was participating just as, you know, healing myself. And he was able to uncover all the roots of all this trauma. And his life is so much better now. And he felt very like if that didn't work, he was going to kill himself.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing those miraculous stories. That's amazing. I think that's, you know, to hear that, that, that this experience can be that powerful, I think um you know we've just for those uh, so many people are afflicted with emotional issues of, of one kind yeah. and another and and our culture is so kind of addicted to this um quick fix sort of you know take a take a pill and be done with it and they yeah. and then they're you know and then they're addicted to something new and this is really showing that you know you can heal and the earth can provide it you know um so now, I want to just talk about something that I think is really kind of beautiful and interesting, and i don't know if you have any thoughts mm-hmm. about it, but we'll see, which is just the way that the that, that ayahuasca is spoken about in as a feminine um as a woman. I mean, it's, she, she's refer, it's referred to as a she, you know, she yeah. has this in mind. It's a, you know, it's always, it's oh, ayahuasca is referred to in a personified way. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and, and what the significance is of that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I get asked that question a lot and it is referred to as a grandmother spirit, a feminine. And I always say, you know, ayahuasca is so beyond gender. Oh my God. Right, you know, this yeah. is like, However, it does appear even to me, to many others throughout time, historical to the Shipibos, to the Mestizos, to, you know, Brazilian, uh, you know, people who drink ayahuasca, it does appear inside sort of a, a feminine aspect. And, you know, really what I tell people are my my own deepest thoughts about that is when you're drinking ayahuasca, it's Gaia. Mm. It's the earth. And that's what it is. It's like earth consciousness. You are you know, coming back into remembering that you are also the earth. We are just elements. We are earth and fire and wind and water. You know, it sort of brings us back in resonance to the earth consciousness, which also is considered feminine. So I see a very big connection there. And, um, and so I think right now, the rise of that feminine energy uh, as ayahuasca appears in that form, it also wakes that side up in all of us. know it wakes up our heart it wakes up our kindness you know uh when we do an ayahuasca ceremony it can be very humbling right as we see things that we didn't see before there's a clarity and a forgiveness that comes and a and ultimately my goal even with founding lotus fine journeys if you look on my website it's all about the heart and in some ways we can consider that a feminine aspect as well right sort of the Heart is the, you know, part of the brain, the left side, the the free flow. And the, so I feel that ayahuasca is appearing like that um, in a way to help us all with our feminine side to find this balance of this masculine feminine mm. um, aspects within our own being, which we know is out of balance that the feminine on the planet is. Wow, it's to take it a beating. It always has, you know, but wow, it really is. It's <laughs> really taking <laughs> you know, a beating. So, yeah. And you know, ayahuasca is also feels that, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's about being connected to all of life. Yeah. It's a life sustaining system. It's a model of interconnectedness. And that is like the great mother, you know, all beings wrapped in the arms.
0: Yes. So Wow, the, yeah, you know, I'm really struck by what you said about um about it being Earth consciousness that you're that the you know the process of 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 doing ayahuasca is really connecting you and reminding you of that that you Mm -hmm. are the earth and and what strikes me about it is that you know it seems just knowing that or acknowledging that it makes total sense to for for it to be something complementary to kind of eastern um, traditions of thought whether it be Buddhist or yoga because there does seem to be a kind of Tra- there's a transcend there's a transcendental impulse in in some of these traditions to kind of like rise above and like be uh, this sort of divorcing I was having this conversation with Shambhavi satsvati the other day and she's talking about mm. this you know dualism that exists in some of our the spiritual people's minds between spirit and matter and like spirit is above the earth and and you know matter is below the dignity of what a spiritual life should be about and so you know and I think that even though some of the eastern traditions are 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 counteracting that with what they're what they're teaching there's still i think in the in the practitioner world and it just sort of feeds in maybe unconsciously this this kind of move to to rise above and and, and i think it also comes from a judeo christian kind of cultural heritage above mm-hmm. you know we want to get to heaven and this down here is just the shit plane Right. So so yep. I think I think that, you know, it's so just culturally, even if you are embedded in a tradition that doesn't on its you know face um, deny the, the the importance of the earth, that there's some like that this is sort of maybe a profoundly um, complementary uh, uh, healing modality for people just in in a culture that that has a history of kind of trying to rise above the earth.
1: Yeah, I so agree with this This is probably why I'm the most excited about ayahuasca, because that's exactly the view that I go out, get me out of here. I meditate in order to escape, get me to the light, the third dimension where, you know, anywhere, but in my messy life, (laughs) you know, and I, and that is not what the Buddha was teaching. And that has somehow become very, uh, You know, it's our default. It's like escapism and also this kind of disembodiment and disconnection from the body. The body's bad, dirty, you know, a sin, sinful or whatever, you know, taking the, the Christian view or other views. And it's all about ascension and getting out. And I've never subscribed to that philosophy. There was always something incredibly challenging, but radically, for me, truthful about, no, it's right where you are. This is the place this body with all of its messes, this mind, with all of its madness, this is the place. And it's not about escape. It's about here and now. So I really appreciate the non-dual perspectives that are really arising because I think this escapism leads people to disconnect from their body, disconnect, and your heart is in your body. If you live in your head and you don't feel your connection to the earth, you will destroy it because you don't want it. It's some, it's, it's connected, this disassociation, with, particularly with Westerners. And, you know, the people who drink ayahuasca the most right now are Westerners to treat this as the suffering. Because it also doesn't make us feel happy because we're not getting to this ascension place. Yeah. We're still, we wake up, we're, oh, right, it's my <laughs> shit storm life again. Jesus, get me out of here. Right, we... We're inherently stuck. It's a wheel, you know. It's yeah. like, nope, here we are again. Yeah. We're back in it, and that <laughs> that mode is something I want to help people treat. And sometimes with ayahuasca, is they see so clearly the profound interconnectedness that they never forget it. Yeah. And no. they be, they get interested in embodiment,
0: real embodiment. Totally. Yeah. No. It's interesting that you said that because I when I first went to, took and I did an ayahuasca retreat, I I was sort of going, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to be in outer space, you know, like flying <laughs> exactly. around, like having this yeah. cosmic point of view. It's like so awesome. And then I was like, I got into the experience. And I'm like, nope, this is absolutely not where I'm at. I'm in my body and I'm feeling very <laughs> sad and like obvious. And I'm mm. and I'm being honest with myself about the fact that I have sadness that I need to work with, you know? And it's, and that, and that's sort of what I hear from a lot of people that I've talked to have had similar experiences. Like, no, it's, you know, it's very much about, you know, your own internal experience and working through that. And people have, I'm sure people have, you know, crazy cosmic van, you know, points of view, but it, <laughs> but it's not outside the body, is it?
1: No, no. And, you know, and with ayahuasca, you know, I tell people, there's a profound intelligence. Yeah. It's like you're going to get what you need, not what you might have read in a magazine or somebody else's journey. Sometimes going out into the cosmos, wow, great, ultimate (laughs) reality. We're made of stars. And then there's conventional realities Forgive your mother. Yeah. Deal with your abuse. You know, it's like there's a merge the, that these two places have to come together. So, so yeah, a lot of people crave those, like you know, those you know, tripping through the universe or whatever. And they, you know, they're on the floor bawling their eyes out, you know, and they're purging and they're they're doing the real work that you know ultimately is going to help free them.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, fantasies of escape. Yeah. And and you know, I had to bring people. I frame that a lot at our retreats. And I think the people who are drawn to my retreats are people who are actually not so much looking for, you know, an out of body intergalactic experience, but they mostly want to, how do I feel better spring?
0: Yeah.
1: What is, I'm blocked, mm-hmm. you know, I'm stuck. Yeah. I, I don't feel happy, you know? And so that's more of let's, you know, look at that. So that in conjunction with all of our practices is why it's helpful. I wouldn't tell people, you know, to stop meditating. We meditate all the time on the retreats. We mm-hmm. frame everything with a Dharma lens.
0: That's beautiful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's very what is, key. What is, um? it's their, their two week retreats. Am I right? <sighs>
1: Yep. They're two week retreats. Yep. We sort of set up, a, I set up a model of two week retreat and they're very powerful because we do eight ayahuasca ceremonies in 14 days. Wow. It's kind of unheard of. Yeah. It's a, that's why I'm very, I have a very, uh, uh, powerful screening process, you know, and it, our retreats are not right for everybody. But the reason that I do that much and we go so fast is that if the people who are drawn to my retreats have an amazing spiritual background already. They're years meditating. They've done all these practices. So they understand what, what, when we say, let's be present, they get it right. Mm -hmm. Let's work with the mind. So they have all these beautiful tools. Therefore we can kind of go at a higher, more, not higher, but a accelerated place. We all arrive at a certain, uh, point, right. And we can kind of we have the tools and we have the ability to kind of go there. So the retreats are, you know, on a scale of one to 10, they're about a 15. Um, (laughs) and they're beautiful and amazing. And if people really want to take the trip all the way to the jungle, they're going to get an ayahuasca experience. And we have the setting, we have amazing shamans and doctors, and we have the whole place set up. All they have to do is just do their healing work. so so for me, I accelerated a little bit because of that mm, mm, and yeah. also we need to wake up faster. It's like yeah. let's do this. you want to heal? Let's get in there. Yeah. you know let's just get all in the underworld, <laughs> you know and let's because, Are you know it's for the benefit of all beings. we don't have time to wait now we
0: don't have time we got to get out of our way we
1: got to get out of our way we got to we got to open our heart we got to recognize the truth that's around us and you know we've got to become empowered
0: yes Wow. That's such a perfect note to end on. Um, spring. So thank you so much. This has been such a lovely conversation. And I really, I really think this is going to be inspiring for a lot of people to, to, if they're, if they're suffering to, you know, to try this method and maybe to seek out one of your retreats. So, um, before we close, if you want to just share where people can find you and, and how they can, um, connect with you. And then if you want to share, um, some upcoming retreats that you have, anything you want to share?
1: Yeah, well, we they can uh, just Google Lotus Vine Journeys uh, and get our website. Our website has all the information, videos, pictures, everything. They can also, you know, just we're on Instagram and Facebook page, and we have a lot of information. And we do. We have four retreats coming up this year. We have one in March, we have one in May, we have one in July, and one in September. And they are two week retreats. And you know, for people who feel called it's a calling to do this. People report that it's a calling somewhere inside. Um, then they can just, you know, reach out. They can connect with me through the website, send an email and follow up. I'm happy to answer questions. And I chat with every single person ahead of time before I accept their booking form actually, and just see how they're doing. What is inspiring them to want to go on this? How can I help? I'm about helping people reach um, the goals. You know, what's going on? How can I support you in healing that? Mm. And we have a whole, you know, treatment plan uh, when people arrive to work on those goals uh, together with everybody, the whole community. So... So yeah, they can just look me up and yeah, there's lots of information. Okay, great. Yeah.
0: So the website is springwashem.com, and then the Lotus Vine Journeys is lotusvinejourneys.com. Yep. So check those All two websites out. And then you have a new website that's coming out, but that'll be under Spring Washem as well, right?
1: Yeah. It's okay. kind of an upgrade to the website I have now.
0: Okay, perfect. 2.0. All right. All right. <laughs> nice. Okay. Thank, thank you so you. much. Bro. It's oh, been such a so pleasure. Great.
1: Yeah, so great, Jacob. Thank you. Yeah, I'll
0: talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, everyone, that was our interview with Spring Washam. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about spring and the retreats that we talked about in this interview, just head to springwasham.com. And then if you're looking for information on the retreats, go to lotusvinejourneys.com. Until next time, bye-bye.